right, boys and gals and ladies and gents and all of, you know, the people in between, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. My name's Nick. And my name's Brad. I thought your name was Bert. And I'll change my name to Ernie. I would be Bert and Ernie. What do you think about that, Brett? Uh, well, in a language without any vowels, it would be the same. This makes sense. Oh. I'm sure Bert and Ernie are copyrighted. It sounds like that's a pop culture reference that I'm just not thinking of in the moment. Is it? I mean, Bert and Ernie were the names of the two people who worked at the taco place at school. Oh, at school? Bert and Ernie? All right, whatever. We're getting off topic. Yeah, Alberto and Ernesto. Nope, not ringing any bells. All right. Oh, well. RIP to Bert, RIP to Ernie, RIP to Bernito, RIP to Ernesto. And uh, what's today's topic, Brett? Today, we get to talk about math. Good old mathematics. What a fantastic topic. What a fantastic subject. What a, I'm going to be real honest, Brett. I like math is, it's either fun or it's like, why am I, why am I pulling the hairs out of my head right now? Because none of this makes sense. It's a big one. It's uh, it's a big one to cover. I think we should start from the beginning. That seems like a solid place. In the beginning, there was nothing. And then there was the boom. That sounds, I, I don't know what math there is in the Big Bang. Although I know that that's ba the entire principle uh, of that theory is based off of mathematics, isn't it? Some would say that everything is based off of mathematics. It's very true. I mean, because it was, I, I think the first recorded history of math was, was it the Sumerian, if I'm right? Uh, yeah, there in Babylon is about the, the first ones to really get recorded using it. Uh, oh. It's a bit, I mean, it's recorded. It's a bit tricky to, to, say whether or not people had math and stuff before history because we don't have any record of it. It's true. Uh, I mean, you can't just go, I mean, you, can, you can't go back in time and just say, ah, oh, yes, there was math. It's like, what, what, what numbers did they use? What, what kind of values did they put to certain symbols like for example we have the roman numerals and i still can't figure any of that stuff out oh like yeah v is the number five and vi is six and then iv is four i think is that right yeah yeah uh the ancient greek and roman number systems were pretty messy uh we've got the the roman one still hanging around on a few clock faces and stuff. But uh really the the Greeks were more philosophical about it. They 
didn't really like their own number system. It was so bad that like they they didn't use it, and they got around without it mostly. Uh, yeah, I just was, I don't. I mean, it looks nice on a clock face. I'll give them that. Like, oh hey, look, Roman numerals. That's in the ninth place, so I guess that means that's the number nine. But yeah, I mean, it, that, it, like... it starts out strong, you know, like you have one line for one, two lines for two, three lines for three. But once you start putting them before and after Vs and stuff, like, you, you lose it. And if you try and, like, line up a bunch of ones and twos and threes and stuff next to each other, it, it gets a bit messy. Uh... Yeah, I never liked it. I like the tally system that some people do. If, like you, you know, you cross it, you cross four on number five, and then you do you do right. numbers in five. That to me, that that's fun. Like that's easy. I can fun, I can fundamentally understand what that is. But after a hundred, it's just like, all right, this is a little much. Yeah, at least with the old Latin system, you get away with very few symbols that you're getting tossed around. That's kind of the advantage of it. Uh, I know they use Roman numerals for when they're trying to do like a preface in a book or a foreknowledge, so they'll do like Roman numeral one, right. Roman numeral I mean, two. It's, uh they're they're straight lines, so they're also easy to carve into stone. Uh I don't think anyone really I don't really know what the ancient Greeks used. That's how bad it was that like no one really remembers or cares what it was uh so they weren't big on like arithmetic but they were big on like geometry and and proofs and things like that uh you get uh euclid and pythagoras and them uh oh boy you just you just got me excited for a good pythagorean theorem i love that so 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 simplistic, so so eloquent, so beautiful. You can't tell by my sarcasm. So very nice. I love trigonometry. You joke, but like that's kind of the thing that the ancients were big into is that uh, if something was true, it was beautiful. And geometry is about like the truest, most universal, most self-evident thing that they managed to think of. Yeah. Uh, and I- you can go on like TikTok or you can go on, you know, any type, you know, you're like going through like your 30 second video spree for the, you know, the day or the hour or whatever you're on. And you see like these videos where they're like making these like beautiful geometric shapes. And all it is, is, Oh, Hey, in a circle, you can put a triangle. Well, I mean, you know, it is. It's not, you you can just uh, draw a series of you can just draw geometric stuff and it it can be pretty in its own right, but it's not just beautiful because it's circles and squares and triangles and shit. It's beautiful because it's logically consistent, because it's true. I mean, you had all these uh, ancient Greek dudes running around trying to figure out what wisdom was or what the truth was. And they really burnt themselves out and drove themselves crazy because they could never find, like, the first principles to uh, figure out whether or not anything was true. They had uh, uh, Socrates running around, and they would say, okay, 
Well, uh, democracy is good, and Socrates would go, Nuh-uh-uh, dumbass. Have you thought about your first principles and shit? Have you tried to figure this out? And they would reverse their position and say, okay, well, then uh, monarchy must be good. And Socrates is like, guess again, fucko. Uh, <laughs> and really what they figured out with sophistry was that nothing was true and nothing was good. Uh, they, they couldn't figure it out. But the one thing they got down was mathematics. They got uh, Euclid and geometry. And they said, okay, well, with... Uh, Euclid's axioms, right, with like these these few basic rules for math, for geometry. Uh, after this, everything follows logically, and it it's sort of ethereal, you know. I mean, you can you can take a stick and draw a line in the sand, but it isn't a real geometrical line. It's it's crooked and not entirely even and stuff, but a real geometric line, you know, as as defined mathematically, is perfect in its own way. The ideal line is is perfectly straight and perfectly narrow in a way that you can't really make in the material world, which is yeah. Part no of what you manufacture, it's it's never it's never a hundred percent. It's like ninety nine point nine 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 percent, whatever you're trying to accomplish. Right, and you can define it as infinite, but you could never draw something infinitely. And this is where it gets a bit wacky. You know, it's it's there are practical applications to Euclid's type of geometry and stuff, but some people got a bit nutty with it, like uh, Pythagoras and Plato and then They said, well, this is, this is about as close to a universal truth as we're ever gonna get. We should make a religion out of this. And so they did. For, for Pythagoras and Plato and stuff, they decided that these uh, mathematical truths of geometry uh, were proof of a higher dimension of perfect forms and perfect circles that you couldn't draw in the dirt. Plato was big into like, yeah, this, this mystical realm of the forms where like the perfect circle existed and any other circle that existed in the material world that you drew in the, that you drew in the dirt with a stick was just a poor shadow or reflection of the real perfect circle, the series of infinite points equidistant from the center. Yeah, and I mean, even when you study, oh, it's like not every, I forget how it goes, but it's like not every rectangle is a rhombus, but every rhombus is a rectangle, or like every square is a rectangle, not a rectangle. Yeah, it's, 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 square, it's logical. It's, it's very some, logical yeah, like that. I know I butchered it, but my, the, it's, it's like, I can see why there would be a cult following behind it, you know? Oh, yeah. It's one of those, like, oh, hey, this is tangible. This is something we can see. And I'm curious, because didn't... Who was the person who came up... Not came up with... He, he, he more or less discovered that, you know, hey, there's other worldly stars out there. They're not just twinkling in the night. It's like, you know, these things are like, thousands of light years away 
very far and he makes a telescope and I forget I forget who it was, but he ended up using the military to fund his like more uh more specific designs on the telescope and I'm just trying to think of who it was. Uh, I'm not sure. I just recall just reading up on him, and now it's going to bother me. Like the, the first guy to discover that the that the sun was a star, that the stars were just other suns. Yeah, but it wasn't based off of observation. It was based off of the literal design of the, the, the telescope, you know. And it was the guy who invented uh, the telescope. I just don't know. I don't know who that is. I can't think of the reference. Okay, like like Galileo. Maybe, but I think it predates Galileo. Galileo was just the guy who found out a bunch more stuff. Like the guy who, who Hans invented Lippershe. the telescope. Eventually, but I was under the impression the guy that invented the telescope was like in Roman times. Uh, no. My math's a little off then. What can I say? My point is, is that I. I'm curious if the the cult followings or the, you know, how people obsessed with math, right? Because it was a tangible proof and it somewhat became a pseudo-religion. If that spawned the different branches of mathematics, which then became their own, you know, tree themselves. Like chemistry is, that's a big thing that involves math. You know, you got to be able to number all the electrons and the neutrons figure out what the, you know those different numbers mean for your chemicals and then even then it's like to make the atomic bomb you had to do a buttload of math but that also requires chemistry you know what I mean uh I feel like we're lost why are we lost Brett yeah that's I'm just uh... saying if there was Great a timeline for how math operates, right, and how it started to grow and people started to develop new ideas and add to the field, was the, were those cult followings the precursor for all of the next branch of science, if you will, or the, branch, no, the future branches? Not, not quite. It wasn't like uh, after Pythagoras died, there was a schism in his weirdo religion between the geometry people and the algebra people. No. Uh, they were developed later and all that. Uh, anyways, after Pythagoras died of not eating enough beans, oh, uh, that poor, that the poor He should have yep. gone to Mexico. Or Spain, uh, one or the other. Yeah, they didn't have zero. I mean, uh, in, in India and stuff, they invented zero and lots of the stuff like the decimal and stuff independently. But apparently the Mayans really did get to zero first. Uh, so really? good for them. Like, like they like, they at least had a 
Yeah. They at least had okay. a specialized symbol for it. And then what, India came out, like, I guess India was credited with the number zero for the longest time? Because I know well, it was where there's no Roman it started numeral. in Eurasia. I think the idea of zero is complicated in itself, too, because if you remember studying limits, like, as soon as you have a line that goes on infinitesimally, then you start to get into limits, which is a subcategory for pre-calculus and calculus, and then you start to go, oh, hey, what happens when you reach the end of the line? And so you reach the limit of infinity or the limit of zero, and then like you get an actual numeric value, but it's nothing more than the closest rounding, rounded whole number. Right. And so then it's like, yeah, it's it's like you're taking this concept of, oh hey, this line is infinity. What is the limit at zero? Like at at this yeah. point right here, zero. And so that, now you're also taking these concepts of zero that was developed by the Mayans or the Indians, or, you know, maybe they were, they just build off each other, we'll say. I'm sure there's, that's probably not right. And it, overall, yeah, you get I this mean, complicated baloney sandwich of just complexity. And now I'm sitting here rubbing my head, like, remembering all the nightmares and the fuel-driven yeah. just torture that was calculus zero is weird but i think you've leaped into something even weirder which is like the infinitely small numbers your uh uh limits and riemann sums and stuff like that those are a lot less intuitive i mean in uh ancient greece and stuff they had the same problem there was some guy called zeno who was some philosopher, mathematician, or whatever. I guess there wasn't a whole lot of difference in some cases. But uh, he said, okay, well, it's one mile from me to that tree. And it takes me a certain amount of time to walk half of the way to the tree. But to get there, I have to walk half of the way to half of the way to the, that tree. And to get there, I have to walk half of half of half of the way to the tree. And all that. And so he got really confused that he had to walk an infinite number of halfways to get to the tree. And so he reckoned it was an infinite distance to only cover the mile between him and the tree. And he got... He almost stumbled on it there. These uh, limits and Riemann sums and stuff like that. But I mean, even that everyone... line of thinking confuses me. It's like, how yeah. do you have it's a mile, right? Like, yeah. let's just call it a mile. It's an infinite distance. It's like, I mean, it's more it like is. An... It's, an, it's an infinite amount of infinitely small distances, at least according to Zeno. I, I don't know, maybe Riemann would say differently, <laughs> but uh. In the ancient times, they had some of the problems that uh, Newton and Leibniz would have uh, 2,000 years later. You know, they would say, okay, well, I've got uh, this certain area of a circle, and I want to try and figure out the area of it. 
and uh, uh, Pythagoras and Euclid and them would say, okay, well, if, if we draw this curve, I can draw uh, an octagon or a regular shape outside of it, and I can draw a regular shape on the inside of it, and I can keep making the outs outer and the inner shape smaller and smaller and figure out the area of them. So I can have an upper bound and I can have a lower bound. And I know that the curve is somewhere between them, but I can't get exactly there. And that's sort of where you get with uh, Riemann and with calculus and stuff. They, they have to resolve Zeno's paradox and say that, okay, we can actually take an infinite number of slices and still get a real number out of it. You can actually add up all the little uh, triangles or slices or whatever under the curve by making a limit. Yeah, and I, I remember that was one of the ways that they kind of try to explain it in the sense of, oh, hey, take this curve. And so they take like a parabola, you know, like half of it. They start at zero and they go to like 10, right? And then they'd have us fill in the boxes. And then it was like this picture in the textbook was just infinite. And like, it just kept breaking it down smaller and smaller and smaller until they used the infinity sign. And it was like, this is, this makes no sense. Like, how can you conceptually or physically have this happen? And it's like, I guess it does happen all the time. It's just, I guess, perspective, I guess is that, I, I don't really know. It's more like, once you start thinking about it, it's like, how does that work? And so all these mathematicians back in the day, I, I, I put my, I take my hat off to them because that's, that's some real, that's some real stuff right there where you're trying to come up with this yeah. math stuff. In, in between, uh, yeah, there, there were some dudes who tried to do weird stuff with like stacks of coins to try and, uh, model these slices that you're taking it it's it's the whole thing but anyways yeah. the 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 romans didn't like all of the this not eating beans in order to not fart your way out of math heaven they were engineers they said eh we can hang a we can hang lead from a string and figure out how slopey the aqueduct has to be to duct aqua yeah, they 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 were engineers. They had enough numbers, enough math to do what they wanted to do, and they were pretty good at it. Well, then I think that begs the question, which is, what would you say? How much math is really applicable to engineers? Like, uh, I'm talking like, oh hey, I'm a nuclear engineer, and I'm messing with nuclear fission and all this other stuff they don't you know the point is, is like in a general engineering perspective like how much do you think that we as an industry use from those classes because i can understand why we need calculus but even then we don't use all of the different things that they go into depth the fart tells me uh why'd you ask me this question because it's fun to ask you the hard it, questions, Brett. It depends. Depends. We're going to need an elaboration there, boss. Uh, anything 
that you're going to do in engineering is mostly going to be couched in the language and styles of calculus, which makes that awfully important. Yes. Yeah, but they make you go through like calculus three, and it's you know even when you get up to that, it's 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 no longer an engineering thing. It's more like a physicist thing because all of that just brings you to this understanding of, hey, I don't know what the what the variables mean or the equations means. So it lets you read like what all the physicists are coming up with, especially in like string theory and other things like that. And so you start to delve into quantum mechanics and you're just twisting your eyeballs like, what the heck? That, it, yeah, that's a bit much. Yeah, I know, and it's like, I, I, I don't see anything past you... calculus one being more applicable than anything else. And if that, like, even then, it's like, I would say I know, I've, I've... algebra was the, probably the biggest thing. Calc two and three of good applications we're talking about like everyday usage now and even then it's like i i don't use a lot of calculus in my day-to-day -day job i'll use well algebra at a certain point you run into what is the purpose of education which is a matter all its own uh oh. I understand, I think. In ye olden days, the university was run, at least in the West, by the Roman Catholic Church. And everyone learned more or less the same stuff, but it wasn't just church stuff necessarily. You got music and math and a bunch of other things that you needed for classical education. You learned a few languages, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it I, I it's, it becomes a, a mental exercise. It becomes not a matter of you're learning these things because they're practical, but you're learning these things in order to learn how to learn in order to exercise your mind or your brain or what oh god that's a whole different fucking problem anyways uh it it's like going to the gym right what's the point of lifting all these weights when they're never really staying up or going anywhere that's just kind of pointless the point isn't to take the blob of lead and move it from point A to point B. The problem is, the point is to uh, make your muscle stronger, to, to break it down and build it up, to, to train it, to be able to move blobs of lead from point A to point B. It's to uh, make your brain receptive to learning new things and to memorizing things i think it's a good way of putting it it's a really good on example. your toes intellectually but let me ask I mean, you there, this, there are some people who say it. like okay uh 
we should learn languages much earlier in high school in school than when we start in high school because the child's brain is much more receptive to learning new language than the uh uh young adult's brain when really if the point is to uh have you be able to think about and explore new vocabularies and grammars and stuff and doing it with superpower toddler brain it's going to be less effective for that than doing it with the young adult brain that's already taken to drinking illegally uh we would never do that that's illegal uh I, so i think you're right anyways. i think the entire the entirety of that is definitely another episode and probably a different topic altogether i would say that math has this kind of love-hate relationship because you have to learn on how to read it then you have to then you start to do all of the math itself and then you just keep going higher and higher and higher and so in my mind i always viewed math as that just this oh hey how can i read this new language right and so once you start to get there it's like all right you learn algebra so you can learn geometry then you learn geometry so you can learn algebra two then you get algebra two then you can learn pre-calculus pre-calculus is the precursor to that calculus one and it's like you use all of these different you know classes well, or different subjects yeah, to it read works further. Out like that when when really i mean statistics is a bit weird because statistics is like the one that kind of breaks that whole thing about euclid and all that because you know you can actually lie with it yeah uh, that's true that's true i never like statistics or probability but but there are fields in mathematics that are are separate it's not a line it's a it's a tree you know there are uh branch there's more to it than geometry algebra calculus uh there's uh, yeah. uh, mathematical logic and stuff like that. You can take classes in logic. They're not great. Wouldn't that wouldn't recommend? Yeah. Uh, uh, wait. You wouldn't recommend those classes? Why not? They're uh, they're just a bit silly. They're a bit complicated for their own sake. Uh, you're just kind of taking logic, you know, if A equals B and C equals D, then B plus C equals A plus D, you know, and, and just blowing it all out of proportion. It's, I mean, it's, it's, kind, it's kind of similar to when we studied, you know, you had like a sequence of numbers, and I guess it's more under... I guess maybe probability or statistics, but you started to study like the mean, the median, the mode. And I mean, those are all really easy and they help you to identify the set of numbers. It's just, I, I don't know. Would that count as like a logic? Or like, would that count as a section in your logic class or no? I don't know. Because I've always been kind of curious because it's math. But it's also it is kind of logic, yeah, I mean, there, but it there is are also probably plenty of weird statistics. things that you can get into uh different areas with with math. 
Uh, I mean, in, there are different number systems. You already touched on like the Roman numerals and stuff, but like uh, uh, they started fucking around with the binary way before they invented computers and stuff. Uh, That's right. Binary or, system. Uh, uh, what is the other thing besides binary with like A, B, 1 through 12? Is it hex? Yeah, like hex code and stuff like that. Uh, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah, there's all types of math dealing with uh, uh, tables and uh, binary and hexadecimal and stuff that are useful in computer science. Uh, that falls outside the, the purview of calculus, but is extremely useful in in computer stuff. Or a well, discrete discrete logic in uh, electronics and stuff. Uh, like not just like ancient weird logic, but you know, and or nor gates and chips and things. I mean, nowadays everything's reprogrammable. How useful is it to actually sit down and work that all out in one circuit instead of just reprogramming it into a reprogrammable thing, but uh yep. And I've always been kind of curious, like in China or in Japan, is their new number system the same as ours or is it kind of by the twenty first century the uh Western take on the Hindu Arabic numeral system, you know the the one, two, three, four that we're all familiar with is universal it hasn't been always traditionally china and ev everywhere else has had their own number system uh the the hindu arabic system used to look and behave a little bit different uh uh yeah and, and chinese and japanese had their own uh it, it took a while for everyone to work out uh uh decimals and stuff they kind of figured out in uh arabia and india and stuff they figured out the tens place and the hundreds place and tenths place and hundreds place and all that but they kept fucking around with the notation a bit like sometimes it'd be a line over number or sometimes it would be a comma and sometimes it would be a period and some of that stuff is still not universal uh in the United States and Britain and Canada and stuff, we'll use like a comma to to group numbers into groups of three. You know, like so in one thousand after the one, there's a there's a comma. But in other places in Europe and Asia and stuff, the comma is a decimal point instead of a regular point. The decimal point is a tail. Some of the notation still not universal, but the uh, zero through nine symbols and the base 10 and stuff are universal uh the base 10 is now universal it hasn't always been uh the mesopotamian started out with a base 60 system which is why we sort of like the 60 minute 60 second minute and all that stuff uh i'm not quite sure where we got the base 10 i know some other people in history have messed with other bases uh there are some advan 
there are some advantages to a base 12 system. You know, it's more easily divisible into nice numbers, sort of like the, the base 60 version. Uh, uh, historically, some people have counted to 12 on one hand. Uh, they would do this because they would use their thumb to count on their four fingers and then divide each finger into three segments, you know, the, the tip, the middle, and the end of the finger. And so on, just on just on your pinky, you can touch your thumb to it and go one, two, three, and you move on to the next number, four, five, six, and so on through through 12. And you've got two hands, so you can get up to 24. And uh, uh, people Ooh. must... People like to talk about primes and non-prime numbers and stuff a lot. I'm not too into it, but 12 is nicely divisible into to twos and threes and fours and sixes and stuff. Uh, makes it a bit nicer than the base 10 system. Uh, some oh. people have seriously advocated for switching to a base 12 system, but these people have mostly been written off as nutters. I mean, can't be any different than, you know, at, at, at some point, somebody came up with a mass, you know, insert whatever topic, and then everybody was like, you're crazy. Yeah. And, you know, once you start to and get in the modern I era, remember, then, it's, I then remember, it's more, it's yeah. less fucky-wucky, you know? It's like, we'll check it, but, you know, I don't know if you're right. Yeah, I, I, I'm not, I don't really understand hex dust. I don't use it for anything. Is that kind of like a base 6 or base 12? Thing. I have never heard know. of it until this episode. You haven't heard of Hexdecimal? No, it's completely uh, new. It is a base 16 system. or That's what it's called, Hess. No, it's 1632. Okay, yeah, I can see it. Uh, let's see. So you have 0 through 9, but then you have A through F that represent 10 to 15. Oh. Uh, it's, it's a bit weird. Again, it has some nice uh, ways to be divided and stuff. Some people have silly systems to count on their finger and remember it. Uh, I guess the gist of it is, if you're in a... Con like, we talk about Roman numerals, right? How do you, how do you stick two, one and two next to each other? Well, with one and two, they are three. I mean, but... Yeah, if you, if you I, stick all these I's and V's next to each other, it gets confused. I guess if you have a computer, and you start sticking 1 and 0 next to each other to, to try and make 10, it gets confused. Uh, yeah, and I mean, even when you look at all these different ways of doing it, then they start putting it in a pop culture, right? I mean, even like backtracking that, it's you, you got people like Isaac Newton who came up with, like he uses... No, he uses variables and mathematics and these concepts to come up with his three laws, and then Einstein comes up with his theory of relativity. But again, that's, yeah. that's like logic meets math, and so then you start to see this pattern coincide of okay, yeah, we can. So the next step, what can you do with this? So you start to apply it to real world applications. So. If force yeah. e equals mass times I mean, acceleration, then it's like, okay, that's a concept times a speed. Again, th th this is why people liked uh, Euclid and stuff. You set it up as a, uh, here's your axioms, you know, based on rule two, you get rule three, blah, blah, blah. 
and it was nice and internally consistent and universal and blah blah blah. When you start actually trying to describe stuff with uh, arithmetic and numbers and things, you get into arbitrary stuff that you have to set up conventions for, and you have to have. It's a bit like language. It's a lot like language, where you have to have your right grammar and stuff in order for everybody to understand what what the hell is going on. Uh, yeah, like you said with, with right. Newton, like uh, for a long time in England and stuff, they taught it using Newton's notation, whereas everyone in Europe was like, we actually like the way Leibniz wrote it, and I think now we mostly use the way Leibniz wrote it with like the D over DX and stuff. I like that. Uh, yeah. I didn't know he did that, though. I thought that uh, was just an industry standard. Everybody did something. Uh, oh, we're, it's better than doing nothing. Point. Uh, I remember as a kid in math class, we watched a cartoon about how a guy in Scotland invented the decimal because he was sick of the way that like British currency worked and he wanted to sell cabbages better. But like, so forever I went around telling people that like, the Scots invented the decimal to sell cabbages because they were tired of like the stupid British currency was like a bit of base 12 and a bit of base 20. Like it was a bit weird. Uh, I think eventually they decimalized. I can say in the, in the States, we pretty much always had decimal currency base 100, which was always really nice. Uh, no, the, the decimal was invented in like India and Arabia and stuff in like the 700s or something. Uh, cool. We did see cartoons in school about uh, uh, Descartes. Say what? Uh, uh, Rene Descartes. Uh, Again, it's, you it's kind of bell, but I don't know spiritual that stuff. He was the guy who said, like, I think, therefore I am. That was his attempt at first principles to say that, like, oh, well, if I think that I know I exist, everything else is a bit sketchy from there, but. Good. I think, therefore, I am not. Yep. Everyone was real I... happy with these uh, uh, Euclidean geometries and stuff, but Descartes got into the graphs and the points and stuff that we've been tortured with since. The old yeah, story is that like, he was a bedridden child looking at the ceiling and he saw a fly on the ceiling buzzing around and landing every once in a while and he tried to describe mathematically where the fly was by using a set of axes. He used a two-dimensional uh, coordinate plane? Yep, yep. And you could extend it to three dimensions and blah, blah, blah. And so th that's why those are Cartesian coordinates because they're from... Descartes. Oh, I uh, know that actually. Yeah, but once Crazy you add the third dimension, things get a bit wacky. You know, mathematically, you can add about as many dimensions as you like, and the math still works out. And uh, once you get to, once you get this nice Cartesian plane, you realize that you can kind of wrap it into a ball and a lot of stuff still works but some stuff like the last bit of uh euclid don't work you can get non-euclidean geometry 
the last thing in Euclid is like if you have two parallel lines, they'll go on forever without meeting. But if you think about like the uh, the uh, lines of latitude on a globe, right? Like imagine all the lines running through uh, through Greenwich and stuff, okay. right? In a on a plane, they would go on without touching, but really they all meet at the North Pole because the Earth is curved. You've got all these uh, lines that, from a two-dimensional perspective, should go on forever, but because they're on a curved surface, they meet at the top. Uh, and everyone said, okay, well, that's weird, uh, but all right. Then they realized that space and time were kind of like that. Everyone was real happy with space and time being nice and fixed constants, but then Einstein messed up to realize that like yeah. you could curve that as well. We just like our curvy space, man. What can I say? Yep. So I definitely think we're at a point now where we've kind of we probably either need to come out with a second video for the or second podcast episode, or we need to just kind yeah, of just end it right. Calculus into a video of its own. Yeah, Have we could like probably hit that in another episode. Before calculus math and an after calculus math. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we did a good job with the broader strokes of math, especially starting from the beginning and getting to the now and i mean there's just there's just so much to unpack it's like how, how do you fit all of that in there you know so it's i definitely think we need to come either come out with a part two or we need to be more it's a, it's a big one i don't think yeah, we even it, touched on like sine waves and stuff or logarithms uh, i love those so much fun i i i just want to i think we should Take a break here, and then kind of, how would you sum up the points that we just came up with, Brad? Um, math can be cool and fun and good. Uh, you don't have to suffer through it. Uh, if you try and take away the confusing algebra and try and look at it from a Back to basics, geometry, or whatever system you can try and uh, get it to make more intuitive sense. Uh, or you cannot do that and just do whatever works for you. Yeah. So I think that's a good summary to leave it off on, buddy. So I, uh, my name's Nick and. Well, the one who just talked is Bert. Hey. Hi, Bert. Hello. Say bye. Bye-bye.